You're okay, Jerry. Yeah, this weather, yeah. <laughs> Fourth, you couldn't have me all at current power rankings at number four. You have to have them. Definitely have them at number one. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Football on off the ball with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Just to uh, follow on from the conversation we were having there before the break. So it seems that it's Nagelsmann versus Luis Enrique for the Chelsea job, but they're looking at Frank Lampard on interim basis. May well be in the dugout this Saturday. There's no keeping a good man down. Tim Vickery, hello. Been a long time, John Malloy. I've been keeping. Very well. Has been a long time. Maybe since World Cup, perhaps. Perhaps, or or, or the death of, of Pele. I had that run, you know, in my life from uh, the elections over here, the end of October, mm-hmm. build up to the World Cup, the World Cup, which was the end of the messy arc, if you like, and then the death of Pelé, and there is, there's, it's hard to think of anything in football that could be bigger than that. And then we had our, our uh, riots, the January the 8th riots, the far right going, going berserk, and it just felt huge story on top of huge story on top of huge story. It was a kind of no sleep till bedtime months, but I don't think I'll ever have any have things as big as that ever again. You know, I probably peaked, Joe Malloy. I'm on the downward slope now. <laughs> uh, you and me both. And has the general temperature in Brazil post January eighth cooled to something approaching normality? Well, Bolsonaro is, as I speak giving evidence to the federal police about a possible embezzlement corruption case. He he arrived back in the country last week. He remains a polarizing figure. Horrific news today from the south of Brazil. Uh, A madman um, with a a machete in a creche killing four children. And that, that could have been far, far worse. And I don't have all the details on that. I think he was 25 years old. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if there's a far right thing from that as well. And I may, I may, may be uh, stretching here, but Blumenau, uh, Santa Catarina, the southern state, it is where some of these far right ideas have deeper root, deepest roots. And there is amongst the far right a kind of anti-school thing. You know what I mean? anti-school and like uh, it's these lefty teachers filling them with nonsense and they should be homeschooled. Uh, I, I don't know how much, if anything, that has to do with the lunacy of, of today. But the country has, has huge problems that's, and huge possibilities. But the problems, I think, are bigger. And the problems go transcend far right or anything else. So the, the big problem is how on earth can you include the urban masses, millions and millions? How can you include them in some kind of modern economy and Brazilian agribusiness does very well but it's an export industry that neither feeds the country nor creates a lot of, a lot of uh, a lot of great jobs so that, that that can't be the solution although politically it's very powerful and a lot of agro business was bolsonaro's chief backer so that's a problem and also as as you've seen and no doubt in Ireland but around the rest of the world you're trapped in that thing where the rents keep going up and wages don't and it's just an it's it's an it's a calamity mm. it's a train wreck you know because a few years ago yeah you always see homeless people there are some people for whom reality they can't hack it it's difficult now 
you're seeing homeless families and it's got nothing to do with drugs or personal problems it's just they can't pay the rent uh, and uh, they're, they are powerful forces that need to be stopped in our societies rentier capitalism mm -hmm. it's almost feudalism of how much can we extract how much can we extract because while you're in a world when rents keep going up property keeps going up and wages stay the same you are in a situation where more and more and more people are going to be made homeless and somewhere like here where you've got so many in precarious situation anyway that's a disaster waiting for happen mm. it's so interesting you say that i don't know how closely you do follow the news here in Ireland, I wouldn't think overly closely, uh, because why would you? But the housing crisis, as it's commonly referred to, is the big story of the last number of years and only increasingly so. And just this week, and uh, it's uh, been been brewing and, and much debated for several weeks now, there was uh, an end to uh, a ban on a moratorium on, on evictions, a ban on evictions. Um, for constitutional reasons, the government argued it had to be lifted. And so uh, there is great anticipation of uh, a jump in numbers of homeless people. And as you well say, it's not down to drugs or uh, a, a, an inability to, to function at a reasonable level. It is purely down to rising costs and wages not uh, matching and uh, shortages for uh, all sorts of reasons and it's uh, yeah it's, it's very grim it's interesting that that parallel is running in Brazil yeah and it can't go on but onwards and upwards onwards yes. we go uh, I don't really know how to segue in any way neatly from that to matters which really aren't important so I'm just going to do it clunkily um, the reason well, we the, the way to do it Joe I think is that we are going from the truly important things yeah to the most important of the least important things. Okay. That's what we're doing. Beautifully done. Uh, the Carlo Ancelotti links with the Brazilian job. So Ancelotti, mm -hmm. 63 years of age now, he has uh, publicly stated Brazil interested in hiring him and he's interested in the gig. So he has but. stated his immediate focus is on Real Madrid where he does have a contract until 2024. You say but. Yeah, but that's it. He's, 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 he says, I'm going to respect my contract which is till 2024. Now, Brazil are in a rush. World Cup qualification starts in September. Um, so they need someone soon. Are Chelsea going to do them a favour? Because I, I was doing TV yesterday with a, with a journo based in, in Madrid, and he says the only way that, that Ancelotti will definitely be there next year is if he wins the Champions League again which is a possibility. You know, they're up against Chelsea and they're flying against Barcelona as they we are. as we speak. 3-0. The, the, the league looks beyond them, but uh, the Champions League remains a possibility. If he wins that, well, maybe he stays. And he says he wants to stay until 2024. So uh, we don't know what's going to happen with this. He, he doesn't have some Jurgen Klopp-esque philosophical... Um, in, uh, inclination to see out all contracts. I mean, Everton fans will promptly text in to say he dropped us like a hot potato. He couldn't get out of here soon enough. Uh, you, know, he uh, you know, he traveled uh, as, as quickly as he could and uh, has never thought of Liverpool again. So I, I'm, let's see what Ancelotti does. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, suit himself, I'm sure. I'm curious as to the reaction in Brazil. What is the, who was the last uh, foreign you know, manager to 
had one. Never. This is, yeah, for kind of one-off game, you know, against a club side, but never, so really ne- never had one. The fellow who was going to coach 58, which was the first World Cup they won, uh, it was the candidate of João Havelange, who was making his name at the time as the head of Brazil's FA. Mm. He wanted to put in a very successful local coach who was Paraguay, and that didn't happen. And after they won in 58, then the idea of having a foreign coach just became anathema. What we want one of them for? Yeah. You know, we're world champions. So uh, it is a, it, it's a historic moment. There is not one single strong Brazilian candidate. Now, that, that, that tells you about a crisis in Brazilian coaching. There's no prejudice in Europe towards South American coaches. Lots of Argentines. Pellegrini from Chile, for crying out loud, has done some of the biggest clubs in the world. But Brazilians can't get in there. When they've got in there, they've done badly. The only Brazilian coach in kind of the group stage of the Champions League in recent years was Silvino, who, very good assistant, probably not... we'll see if he becomes a top level coach but that didn't last very long and they're also losing space at home around half the coaches in Brazil's first division now are foreign with a lot of Portuguese and the outstanding work is all being done in Brazil by foreign coaches so they don't there is no strong Brazilian candidate Ancelotti fits the bill because it's going to it's a tough ask who accepts this the players the players don't have the least problem with this they're globalized yeah you know they already work under you know in the, in the case of Vinicius and Rodrigo and until recently Casemiro they already work with foreign coaches it's no problem for them younger generation have grown up with a globalized you know they're playing FIFA manager or whatever the older generation and especially the coaching fraternity just despise the idea and you are walking into a trap and they will be desperate for you to fail it needs a diplomat and Ancelotti is a great diplomat yeah and he's so wonderfully laid back when look at look at how the job has aged the likes of Guardiola and Mourinho Ancelotti doesn't age at all he's just there with his cigar and you know that 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 low profile consensual style of of leadership is one some would argue that Brazil needs something more radical that is that is one one possible argument but just to slip in there and not create conflict mm. Ancelotti is is uh, perfect in that one but is he free and if he isn't can you attract and Brazil is one of those few places where the leading Brazilian coaches they want the national team Whereas elsewhere, the national team has become either veterans or, or, or rookies. Now, look at England. Roy Hodgson, that kind of one of the end of his career, and Gareth Southgate towards the other. And that, that's kind of the way it's been because the big coaches, they want to be in, in the Champions League. But for, for Brazil, it's still seen as the best, the biggest thing that you can possibly do as a coach. It's a hugely important national, sim, national symbol. So I don't envy, however, however much they're going to get paid, if it's Ancelotti or whoever it is, I don't envy them because uh, they're going to be sitting in a little bit of a coconut shy, I think. Some of the former players of voiced opposition, Rivaldo, it shows a lack of respect to Brazilian coaches to consider hiring. Far right nationalist. Is he? God. Yeah. Oh, very, very much a far right nationalist. And he waited until Germany had been eliminated from the World Cup in the group phase 
four years, five years ago now in Russia, and he said, "Oh yeah, these are the people that we're that, that uh, we're supposed to be copying, imitating." Okay. Didn't say anything after the seven one, so you know. Okay. I, I I take what he says with a pinch of the old proverbials. Because okay. he did conclude by saying uh, the team has to be managed by someone who has Brazilian blood running through their veins, which was uh, uh-huh. yeah suitably. Uh, Cafu said, "Are you going to jump in again here and?" Destroy Cafu no, on me as well. Okay. No, not at all. No. <laughs> uh, he said, why not give a chance to a young Brazilian coach? We have four years to form a team. Give the squad to a young coach. Give him the tranquility. And I'm sure Brazil will put together uh, a great team. He didn't care to name names, which maybe uh, illustrates your point that there isn't a standout candidate. Yeah, I mean, there's one, Fernando Diniz, who's not that young anymore, but he's interesting. He is he's very of Fluminense at the moment. He's he's a standout and he's failed in a lot of places. Um, but because it's attractive what he serves up, he gets other chances, okay. which is is rare in in coaching. And he's done very very well with Fluminense. They're kind of anarchic. They're fun to watch. Um, it's it's possession based, but it's without the set positions, if you like, of a kind of Guardiola. You know. It, it, it's much more anarchic than that, which means that they can see goals, but it's it's fun, and they've, they've just signed uh, Marcelo uh, for of Real Madrid for so many years. Quite he hasn't made his debut yet, but quite how he's going to fit into the mix, I don't really know. It's mm. hard to see him as a left back in such an anarchic side. So he would be one very interesting candidate, and well, Scaloni did all right for Argentina didn't he? Yeah. You know, he was a man with no previous senior coaching experience, although Scaloni did have 15 years experience of top-level dressing room football in Europe. And it's really striking, actually, how many... I mean, if you look at, say, our Champions League, the Libertadores has just kicked off. Yes. Look at the coaches of the Argentine sides. River Plate, Dimichelis, once of Bayern and Man City. Boca have just sacked, but until last week, it was Hugo Ibarra of Monaco and Porto. Racing is Fernando Gagel. Only recently retired. Played for Real and Roma. Mm. Um, Argentina Junior sits Gabriel Milito, who played Barcelona and Zaragoza and so on. Uh, you don't quite see that from that, the, the big names in Brazilian football. It's like the, the Argentines, I think they're doing their badges earlier while they're still playing. Uh the, the, you don't see that many part of the reason for that is it's such a hard position in Brazilian football the, it, it's difficult to be a coach in Brazil that's one of the reasons there's this crisis in coaching the calendar is is you know the, the size of the country it's a huge country so there's a lot of travelling there's too many games there's no time on a training field and you're not allowed to lose uh, it, that little mix has made for cautious coaches mm. you know South Africa a few years ago they went down the Brazilian road uh, when they hosted the World Cup, they ain't doing that no more. You know, they they ended up because rec- they had this image of the Brazilian coach being lyrical, and and that's not what they got at all. Mm. They got organised and, and and pragmatic. But in order to survive as uh, in Brazil as a coach, that's what most of them have have, have done. In some respects, you can really see Ancelotti working. He will go in, as you said, he won't take criticism personally. He will charm everyone. He'll raise an eyebrow. He'll take the mania of Brazil and their uh, national football team on his shoulders. And, I mean, he's done an extraordinary job with Real Madrid again in many ways. So it kind of all makes sense. He's at a nice age for it. On um, the Copa Libertadores, the uh, South American version of the Champions League, I was reading your piece uh, as it gets underway now. And I suppose if people wanted... um, a headline theme 
it's it's your point that the last three finals have been all Brazilian affairs. There is a, a level of Brazilian dominance here, and the best that Argentina, Colombia, Ecuador, Paraguay, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, Uruguay, Venezuela, you name it, can muster, uh, isn't really competing with what Brazil are throwing out there. No, um, the big Brazilian clubs have have much more money, and they're going to have more money still. That's the way things are going here. Uh, this also that they've also got much much cuter in scouting the rest of South America so they're cherry picking from the rest of South America so the big Brazilians can bring back South Americans from Europe veterans even like Arturo Vidal from Chile and and, uh, Luis Suarez from Uruguay they can bring them back uh, they can bring back players who've gone to Europe and haven't come off mid-twenties players who, who, who are still very very good players uh, and they can cherry pick from from the rest of South America and there's another factor in there which has been the rise of Major League Soccer um, because Major League Soccer is reluctant to buy big name Brazilians because you have to pay so much more for them mm. but cherry picks from a lot of the rest of the continent so what we're seeing is the Brazilian clubs get stronger and the competition get weaker uh, and um, well River Plate have <coughs> I talk far too much <coughs> and in the end it's, um, it, it w- wins out over the vocal cords you're okay Tim Vickery listeners having a drink of water a well earned uh, drink of water yeah I think so Um, nothing stronger and uh, so it's hard to see how the rest of the continent can compete River Plate have tried to compete now by extending their stadium they have the biggest stadium in South America now they took out the running track there's a plan for Boca to do something similar and go even bigger so that's one way of competing get more revenue in from having more fans packed in. But apart from that, I'm, I'm quite pessimistic about the future of the, of the Libertadores. And one possible salvation is Pan-American. It's putting the big teams from the States and Mexico in the mix. This, is, this starts timidly next year with a tournament for the two finalists of the Libertadores and the two finalists from the CONCACAF Champions League. The logistics here are horrific. The Americas are absolutely huge. And the distance between Buenos Aires and Mexico City is further than that between London and a number of cities in India. And you you think about going beyond that up to Seattle or something. You know, these are Vancouver. These are massive journeys. So I think initially it has to be done on a tournament basis. But that, that looks to me potentially interesting because the synergies are obvious. South American football has so much credibility. Major League Soccer, it doesn't have credibility, but it does have a kind of momentum behind it. So you put it together, and I wonder in, in, in the future if there's just a possibility of a kind of alternate pole to the dominance of European club football. Before you go, I wanted to get your perspective on Manchester United and Brazil's Anthony. So he, he pitched up for 95 million euro, not cheap, and he scored early on against Arsenal and did a prolonged dance in front of the camera and everybody <laughs> thought, ooh, right man, right stage, this could be very interesting. And since then, I don't know how many Manchester United games you've managed to see to him, but there's been a real flattering to deceive element to his performances. He doesn't look to have searing pace to go by players at Premier League level. He likes to cut in on his left foot. He will score one in 20 of those shots and um, <laughs> he scored three Premier League goals in fairness he scored a few in Europe but three Premier League yeah. goals no assists and 
Uh, he has 16 caps for Brazil with two goals. For the 95 million euro, and I, I appreciate he's only 23, and he's pitched up in a new country and in a new team, so you have to be fair to him. But even talking to Pat Nevin the other evening, who's uh, regularly on with us on a Monday, uh, jury's out and, and like nearing conclusion that this looks ominous. <laughs> I feel a bit sorry for him with the fee because yeah. the thing that dictated that was the amount that they played, uh, United paid for Lisandro Martinez, yeah. the Argentine centre-back. They paid so much for him that they were going to have to pay more for a younger striker. Now, uh, Ten Hag knows exactly what he's getting and Ten Hag is very loyal to this player, perhaps over-loyal. When he played here, he played for Sao Paulo. He used to drive me mad because left-footed right winger, he would slow down every counter-attack. Yeah. Because he would always, always do the same thing. Stop, cut in, give the defence time to get organised. Drove me mad. Just before the pandemic, we had the Olympic qualifiers over here. It's a big deal, the under-23 uh, championship. And uh, the coach loved him and kept on picking him. And it just wasn't working and it drove me berserk. And in the end, Brazil's senior coaching staff stepped in. It was a vital game. They had to beat Argentina. And they said, have you thought about dropping him? And they ended up dropping him for the vital game against Argentina. And it worked much better without him. Following that, he goes to Ajax, which is a good place to go, mm. I think, if you're a winger. It's a good finishing school. And uh, talking to the, the coaching staff who took just before the World Cup, you know, who took Brazil to the World Cup, they were absolutely enchanted with him and absolutely enchanted with what Ten Hag had done with him. That Ten Hag had really, really developed him. That he could, he could uh, his right foot was now, because that's one of the things you need. Ajax, you, you expect two-footed players. His right foot improved, he could, he could go outside. He was much, much better at, at picking his options and he would work back defensively and do much more. So I, I think he, he was like, Ten Hag could look at him and think, Look at my boy. Mm. Look at my boy. Mm. Look what I've done with him. <laughs> May mean that he's over loyal to him. What I like about him, I think there's a big personality there. There is, yeah. You saw that with, with a little dance. Okay. I'd rather have an excess of personality than, than, than the opposite. Yeah. Especially at, at that age. It is very interesting. The criticism, I think it was Rio, Rio Ferdinand, who called him a YouTube player. No, it's full of little little tricks that don't really don't really serve for anything. I'm now looking at Ten Hag, and I'm thinking, what are you going to do now? Mm. What are you going to do with him? You've brought him a long way. You obviously have huge faith in him. What are you going to do now? And uh, this this will be a vitally important piece of man management, I think, for Ten Hag, who obviously believes massively in him. And United. You, you need wingers to work there at United. It, that's so much part of the DNA of the club. It, it's such an important role. So this is this is a big one for, for Ten Hag. I would like to believe in him. I am a little bit worried about the difficulties he's, he's having getting past, getting past players. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't have the pace to get by players in, at Premier League level. That may be long season. That's, that's possible. World Cup season and all the rest of it. That's possible. Mm. Give him a little break in a close season, and let's see how let's see how how he how he comes back. Um, but if it, if it is ruled, it's too early yet, too early. But if it is, it is ruled a favour a failure, 
it's an expensive one. Yeah. And Ten Hag knew exactly what he was getting. Oh, it's a, it's a lot of the, in fairness, ample credit Ten Hag has at the moment, but it's it's a lot of it spent, you know. It's a, it's a big one to get wrong. Martinez is working out very well and people were far more worried about Martinez when he first arrived. Yes. So there, yes. there is benefit of the doubt quality, I'm sure, on both fronts, uh, Ten Hag and uh, Anthony. Uh, so we'll see. Look, he's still only 23, but that's interesting, your perspective. Because that frustration, I, I, I think there, there are still so many elements of his game finishing school at Ajax aside, which are frustrating. I think to Manchester United fans he makes decisions where you think oh, we all knew you were going to do that and you did it and it didn't work and uh, he seems to have stopped tracking back I mean maybe he was doing that for a time at Ajax but I mean at Anfield he was like oh okay if Bruno's not tracking back I won't either <laughs> so we shall see uh, good to catch up it was my pleasure hopefully we can do it again soon yeah absolutely Tim Vickery with us uh, live on the line so where are we Carlo Ancelotti who we were just uh, discussing 4-0 Real Madrid winning at the new Camp that kind of makes it a famous night territory uh, for Carlo and Real Madrid which means they are 4-1 up in the semi-final of the Copa del Rey semi-final uh, so they're going through uh, with five minutes to go Meanwhile, in the Premier League, I'm waiting now to refresh this and see that Anthony has scored a hat-trick. He hasn't. It's still 1-0. Marcus Rashford's goal in the 27th minute has Manchester United 1-0 up against Brentford. Meanwhile, Newcastle also uh, winning and in more comprehensive fashion, it must be said, away from home, away to West Ham, they are 4-1 up. Callum Wilson with two goals and Joe Linton uh, scored the second just waiting on confirmation as to who got their fourth but regardless Newcastle 4 West Ham 1 is where we are in the Premier League this evening our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky catch the biggest live Premier League games every weekend on Sky Sports Football on Off the Ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports